Well, again, uh, good morning and thank you for joining us. Uh, it's good to be together uh, here with you. I, am, I don't normally preach with a cough drop in my mouth, uh, but if you were here a couple weeks ago, you know that um, I have had this lingering cough, and so I'm trying to defer that through the hour. It only really flares up when I'm talking a lot, so preaching is a bit of a liability uh, in that regard. I want to, before we dive into this morning's sermon, I want to just um, have kind of a, a family conversation a little bit here because I am, um, I am excited for this next season of ministry, season of the life of the church. Um, if you were here some four years ago, if you're new with us, about four years ago, a group of us came out to this building to launch Chapel Street Church Mill Creek. And when we did so, um, one of the things that was a point of emphasis in that was that th this was a, a team effort. And since that time, many of you have integrated into that effort. You share in, in that work. And the Holy Spirit just has been um, sort of prompting on my heart this sense of um, we get ready, like a, a, a sense of anticipation, of, of continuing in this mission and vision of being a neighborhood church, of reaching our community and from the very outset my the strategy behind that was not that people would walk through these doors and build a relationship with me although I love that and I, I appreciate that it's not that they would meet me or or any of that it's that they would meet you is that somebody would come into our community and get to know you and that the reason that they would come back is because you would know if they weren't there that week or you would reach out to them and say hey i'll see you on sunday morning or i'm saving you a seat or or that they came in the first place because you invited them and because you made them feel welcome here and loved here that we have tried to make that our culture from day one and and we've had moments when we've nailed it and moments when when we've missed um but i want all of you to hear from me that um i need i need your help and I need your, your, this is not any, in any way saying you haven't done a great job. It's, it's me saying I have a sense that maybe it's just COVID. And I think COVID has in many ways unearthed for many people in our community, things that we used to think were foundational now feel less stable. And I think there's a, a, a seeking that's unfolding. And I think we should be ready for that. And, I'm, and I'm, I need your help. And that and i'm thankful for you i'm thankful that you're here and i'm thankful that you share in that work with us so all that to say i love you and i'm glad you're a part of this team so um we're going to wrap up our series this morning that we have been looking at throughout january entitled questioning god and if you've been a part of this we we've looked at a number of questions like honest sometimes difficult always kind of raw and authentic questions asked of God uh, throughout the Psalms, times when David and other authors have come and, and just sort of laid it all out there. And what's interesting about this series for me is that it's been evident to me that this has resonated in our community in a number of ways. I've, I've had more feedback and follow-up emails and questions throughout this series than that I've had in, in perhaps a long time. And so it it seems like it's meeting a need. There's this collective sense together as a community that we needed to process some of these things together. And we need to continue to do that work. And this list is, 
far from exhaustive. We, we certainly haven't looked at every question that we could ask, and we haven't even fully resolved the questions that we have asked, that, which is not really the point of it. But hopefully, as a community, we've given ourselves permission to, to ask our honest, our honest questions, the, the realization that God invites us to do that, and perhaps given ourselves a framework for what it looks like to ask, to ask questions in the context of an authentic relationship with the Almighty God. I, I, right, I, I think that, that has to stay at the forefront of, of what all this is about. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's in a relationship with God that we can come as his beloved sons and daughters before his throne and say, I'm, I'm struggling. I don't know if you've ever done this or your family. Do you ever like have questions pop into your head and you think, I'm going to ask God that when I'm in heaven someday. Like I, I tell myself that I have a running tally because I know I won't remember them all. So like when one pops in my head, I'll be like, you got that? So we can talk about this later kind of thing. I don't know if that's how it works. Probably not how it works, but I do that. And it's, sometimes it's just like, like curiosities, like why mosquitoes, right? Like why, what in the grand scope? Is that like just a result of the fall? Is this like sin manifests itself in bug form? Like, or is it sometimes it's, it's right more personal? Sometimes we're asking questions like, why, why do I struggle with fill in the blank? Or why, why did you allow these circumstances in my life? Why didn't you protect me from this person, this thing, this situation? But what if, what if you could only ask God one question? What would you ask? What, what is it that you would most desire to know? Or perhaps if we think about it differently, what, what is it that we most need to know? See, of all the questions that I think we, we've asked and wrestled with and that we see laid out throughout the Psalms, of all the questions that we see David and others bring an authentic relationship before their creator, God, I think it's this question that we're going to explore today, this question asked of God in Psalm 24 that's the most critical. And it's simply the question, who are you, God? Who, who are you? Or as David words it in, in Psalm 24, who is this king of glory? And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Psalm 24. And we're going to think about this as we process this question and, and the nature of David's question together. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to read this, and then we'll, um, we'll, think, we'll talk a bit about, about David's thought process here. Psalm 24, beginning in verse 1. David writes, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Who seek your face, God of Jacob. 
Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? This king of glory, the Lord, he, who is he, this king of glory, the Lord Almighty? He is the king of glory. I, uh, this psalm is, is, David just writes so powerfully and poetically and, and beautifully and honestly. And, and we're not given the specific context that, that inspired David to write this psalm. But most biblical scholars, at least the ones that I read, believe that the events surrounding David's inspiration here, the events surrounding um, what is going on and what David is describing is the events found in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And if we had more time this morning, we would flip over there and, and read through this. But just kind of in a nutshell, David has just been installed as the anointed king of Israel. He's just defeated his enemies, the, the Philistines, on the battlefield. And he's in this mode of great victory and celebration. He's actually returning into the city of Jerusalem, and he's bringing with him the Ark of the Covenant. He's the very dwelling place of God, God's presence with his people. Yahweh God is coming back to dwell in Jerusalem with the people of God. And David responds by acknowledging and praising God for who he is. Notice a couple things that, that David points out here, or that David is processing as he thinks about Yahweh coming to dwell with his people. He starts a psalm by acknowledging him as the creating king. He is the creating king. David, David really begins this psalm with this bold and brazen declaration about who God is and what he is. Right? Back in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters. And again, that, that might not ring as kind of this poignant, uh, like brazen sort of declaration in, in to our ears, but David is in this, he's this tiny little nation surrounded by all of these enemies who wish they weren't there, these pagan nations who have propped it up all of their idols that, that they worship. And David, in this psalm, when he's saying, Yahweh is God. Yah Yahweh is the one who has made it all. And he is the one who is worthy of our worship. The earth belongs to Yahweh, the very personal name of God, and everything in it. And why? Because he's the one who made it. This is who God is. And so it, at the very outset of this psalm, there's this inherent separation. There's, there's distance. David is setting God apart from all others, including us. He is the one who is uniquely different. He's the one who's uniquely different from all other gods. He's the one who's uniquely different from us because he's the one who had the power to speak creation into existence. I can remember as a teenager at times when the family was looking at all they had to accomplish during the weekend and, and the cars that we had available for people to accomplish these things. 
and making like a very impassioned, I felt like eloquent, well thought out pitch to my mom and dad as to why my situation was deserving of one of the cars and that they should probably hear my case. I think I was effective in the debate and when ruled justly, it would come out on, on my side, right? The problem was there was an authority gap because I didn't own the car, right? Like there was, there was an authority gap that was applied to ownership. And when it was the end of the day, if I needed the car, no matter how bold or, or uh, relevant my case was, it didn't matter if mom needed the car, right? Because if mom needed the car, mom was getting the car. And I was hitching a ride with, with a buddy because there was ownership rights. See, there's an authority that's a power that's built in. And David starts with this declaration regarding who God is, and he is the one who holds the rights of ownership. And by the way, notice that in David's mind, there's, it's, the ownership is not just of what we see around it, it's of you. It's of the earth is the Lord's, and, and all who live in it. There is an authority gap that David is applying to God because he is the creator. And I think David starts here for a reason. This is, this is, by the way, I think as we continue to think about how we bring our questions to God, it's important for us that when we, when we bring those to God, we're not, we're not bringing them as equal partners. We're not, it's, we're not on some level playing field or equal levels of understanding. Although we have been endowed with the very image of God and we bear characteristics and qualities that he has given us, we're not him. We didn't create it, and it's not ours. And so it changes the way that we approach and think about these things because there's an inevitable lack of our ability to understand because we're not the same, because he's infinite and eternal, and we're not. So David starts here for a reason. He is intentionally beginning with the truth that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is utterly unique, and it's a theme that we'll see consistent throughout Psalms. When you read the psalm, Psalm 100, verse 3, for instance, the psalmist writes, Know that the Lord is God. It's he who made us. And we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. It is this utterly unique nature of God. Sometimes in, in the church we talk about this as his holiness or his glory. This, this quality about him that both attracts us to him we desire to be in his presence, but it also repels us from him because we fear it. Because it exposes us and it reveals us. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been sort of thrust into an environment that's kind of a whole different social stratosphere. And there's something about that experience, right, where it's like, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm hanging out with these people. And then there's also this side of it that's like, I don't belong here. I shouldn't be here. Like when that person asks, like, where my house in the Hamptons is, I didn't have a great answer for that. You know, like, there's like a uh, discomfort that we have in that reality. Timothy Keller says the glory of God both attracts us and repels us. We do ourselves a, a tremendous disservice. When we begin to adopt a reduced, softened, safer view of God. 
when we try in our minds to kind of level the playing field a bit and, and, and just make him a bit more approachable. Because we ultimately dilute the miraculous nature of God making his way to us. When, when, when we kind of level, level the playing field. David begins by recognizing and acknowledging that Yahweh is the creator God. He is the one who is utterly unique. And he is the one who holds the authority over all creation. So at the outset of the psalm, there's, there's an unavoidable gap. But then David goes on to reveal him as the, re, the redeeming king. He's the one who is the redeeming king. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I don't, like if you watch a video on YouTube, YouTube, somewhere, somebody is thinking he really likes videos about this stuff. And so they start sending you a million of these. And I think I watched some like behind the scenes, something in celebrity, a celebrity's house or like a tour of a celebrity's house. It sends me all the time these videos now about how the rich and famous live. And, and apparently they know what they're doing because I have started to go down this like track of like, oh, that's cool. And uh, I came across this video about Michael Jordan and you may know this. I did not know this. Michael Jordan has uh, built his own private golf course down in Florida. It's called Grove 23. In fact, I think I have a picture of the clubhouse. It's, uh, it's pretty nice. Um, and and he, he built this apparently because he couldn't find a place to play that afforded him the degree of privacy and just personal um, attention that he wanted. And so he built his own golf course and it has a total of 80 members. And the only access that you can get to this golf course is if you're personally invited. Um, it, it's the highest level of exclusivity, right? And so anytime we, we picture something like this, anytime we get kind of this behind the scenes view of how the rich and famous live and that sort of thing, the inevitable kind of stirring in our hearts is like, what, what, who's qualified for that? How, how do I get, how do I get that kind of access? I mean, notice the, 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 the progression of the psalm here. David sets God apart as, as utterly unique. And then he begins to process together this question of who's qualified. If this is who he is, if, this, if, he's, if he's the one who's holy, if his glory is overwhelming, if he's the all-creator king, who is qualified to be in his presence? He starts to answer that question. This is back in verse 3 now. He says, Who may ascend the mountain of the holy? Who may stand in, in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart and who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will be the ones who receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from, the, from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. This, this portion of the psalm is sometimes referred to as an entrance liturgy. If you go to Psalm 15, I was going to, go there this morning but for the sake of time save it later you'll, you'll see psalm 15 um it asks very much the same questions in light of who god is who's qualified to enter into his presence you you see that this this idea that david understands that god is utterly unique he's set apart he's holy but he also understands that his holiness is not something to be taken lightly 
In fact, if, I referenced Psalm 6, or uh, for, uh, 2 Samuel 6. If you go back and read 2 Samuel 5, you'll see that David is, is terrified of the Ark of the Covenant because he, he understands if somebody does not treat it with the exact specifications that God has given, the, the results are disaster. He understands God's holiness is not something to, to be taken lightly. So who is qualified who can come into his presence? Well, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. In other words, one commentator writes, worshipers who wish to enter the sanctuary must be innocent both inside and outside. They must be innocent in their actions and their minds, including their motives. Anybody feel good about that? Right? Not me. Like, who, who meets this standard? And he goes on from there. Who does not, uh, somebody who's qualified is one who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. And we've, we've talked about this before. The, the idols in our culture may not look like the ones that surrounded David in this ancient Near East culture. It may not be the ones that the Philistines and others propped it up and and sought to worship in order to gain favor. But they are undoubtedly no less prevalent now as they were then. We just have kind of a, an ability to make our idols look a bit more sophisticated. Actually, probably a bit, a bit more like us. In fact, I think if we are honest with ourselves and we look across our culture and probably take a deep dive into our own hearts, we would begin to understand that the idol in our culture is, is oftentimes, frankly, looks a lot like me. It's the idol of self, where I put myself in the place of ultimate authority. And I put myself in the place of the definer of truth. And I, I, I want us to just sit in this tension for a bit. David appears to be both simultaneously celebrating, welcoming the presence of God, Verse 5 and 6 describe the benefits of, of God dwelling among his people. He says they will receive blessing from the Lord, vindication from God their Savior, such as the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. That, that reference to seeking his face, that's a, a, a metaphor. It was used in that culture for just uh, intimacy, for closeness, deep relationship with somebody. So he, he, at one hand, he's talking about the blessing of this, and he's at the same time saying, who can, who can get there? Who's qualified to be there? That This psalm at this point in its progression almost feels a bit like a tease, like you want it, but you can't have it. So why does David celebrate? Why, why is this a, a, a psalm of celebration? Because Yahweh, because God has made a way. Because the creator king is also the redeeming king. He's the restoring king. The psalm is not David making this self-righteous declaration of his innocence. But rather it's a celebration of the gracious mercy of God who made a way to us when we could not make our way to him. David, in his mindset, he has in view the Old Testament law and an atonement that was brought through sacrifice in the tabernacle. 
He's saying, praise God that when, I, when we were not qualified to be in his presence, God has made a way for us to be in his. But we understand Psalm 24 is a messianic psalm. We, we read this through the lens of what Jesus has done. He is the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Is Jesus was the one who was qualified, the qualified one who came to qualify us. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 describes it this way. He says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That is, that is a perfect description of exactly what David is celebrating here. That the, the, the qualified one, the one who had clean, clean hands and a pure heart, has come in order to qualify us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has made a way. He is the redeeming king. And so the culmination of, of David's psalm is he's arriving at this grand conclusion of everything that he's celebrating is the Ark of the Covenant is being paraded into the city, and that is that the king has come as the conquering king. God is the conquering king. Notice that in all of this psalm, that as we get to the response, there's only one imperative throughout the entire psalm. Back in verse 7 now. He said, lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. You lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. What's, what's David's instruction? What's the imperative here? The king of glory seeks entrance. What, how, how do we respond? Lift, lift up your heads, you gates. It's this, this metaphor of the presence of God coming into the city as the gates are opening up. He's instructing the people, welcome him in. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. But we don't want to be naive about what that means, to welcome the king of glory. My family this week, um, we welcomed a, a new member into our house. Uh, this is a picture of the latest, uh, see, it's a trick. You, you fell for that. Uh, that's what happened to me. And actually, it happened to my wife and daughters, and I was brought along um, begrudgingly. But this is Woody because they think he looks like the Pixar character Woody for some reason. But um, he's about nine months old, little pup. And so if you've welcomed a dog into your home, you know there's some preparation that goes along with it. So we were talking with some of our friends who have um, a lot of experience with, with dogs, and especially shelter dogs or rescue dogs. And they said that one of the things that you have to do as the dog comes into the house is you have to teach the dog who the alpha is. So, right, like I immediately introduced Woody to Sherry and said, <laughs> this is Alpha in a home. And um, 
and you got to kind of allow the dog to figure out its place. And I already have a dog. I was really content with my dog, Jojo. She's a good dog. And, but um, the dog has to figure out that this dog is, is ahead of her in the house. And, and, and they're going to kind of work these things out. And really what they're describing is you welcome this dog into your home is that this, is, this dog has to be conquered. Like, this dog has to have a sense of who is in authority in the home. You have to teach it this. And you do this in all these different ways and let the other dog out first and all these instructions that you have. And as I was reading this psalm, as David invites the king into the presence of of the people as he's celebrating, as they're parading into the city, like, this is a conquering. And again, think about this psalm from David's perspective. He has just been elevated to the position of king. He's just led his armies into battle. They've been victorious. They defeated the, their enemies, the Philistines. They've recovered the, the Ark of the Covenant. David's returning victorious to, to the people of Israel. They're celebrating and everybody's applauding. And David is coming back and he's saying, I am a king. But as he points to the Ark of the Covenant, he's saying, this is the king. Like, this is where authority resides. David is declaring that Yahweh is the king of glory. But what, is it, what does it mean to recognize and acknowledge him as king? You see, I, I can, and maybe you can relate to this, but I have a tendency to operate from a perspective that God is, is a trusted advisor, a wise counsel, a close confidant, and a really good friend. But authority, I mean, when we agree, yeah. But I like to keep a pretty tight grip on those reins. But he didn't come as a trusted advisor or a close confidant. He came to conquer. To conquer us. To conquer our hearts. There's a group of... um, pastors in the tri-cities that get get together once a month and just pray together it's there's no agenda to it we eat lunch and we pray for each other it's it's i love it and and um i've really enjoyed and appreciated getting to know some of the other pastors in the community and there's a pastor that attends regularly that you guys will know the canoes will know his name's dan rack the great trinity vineyard and saint charles and um he's um kind of one of the senior leaders in our group and, and just an authentic, genuine follower of Jesus. Like, you just, somebody you respect pretty, pretty quickly. And he was telling a story, and um, Pastor Jeff were him and were in a conversation. They were talking back and forth, and I think Dan was actually quoting somebody else, but he used the phrase, um, I'm just loose change in God's pocket, and he can spin me wherever he wants. And when Dan said that, that, that phrase has been, running through my mind and it popped in my head as I thought about and reflected on Psalm 24 and what it means for Jesus to come in as the conquering victorious king into my heart into my life and it's exactly that sort of approach I am at your disposal to be used by you in the way that you see fit because you own everything around me and you own me we're gonna next week dive back into the gospel of Mark we've entitled that entire series following the king we've been we've been talking for months now about what does it mean what does it look like 
to follow the way of Jesus. And reality is, is that there's no other way to do that than, than the way of surrender. There's no other way to, to walk in the way of Jesus that doesn't come through submission. It, it's the invitation that he extends, and it's the imperative that, Dave, er, that David writes in this song. In fact, if you think about the words of David, we, we looked at these last fall, or not the words, of, the words of Jesus. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8. He says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. This is, this is Jesus' description of, of what it means to invite him in as the conquering king. To die to ourselves and to take up the cross and follow him. So when David writes this psalm and he asks and he seeks to answer the question, who is God? He describes him as the one who is the creator king. The one who has made it and owns it all. He is the redeeming king, the one who has come to restore us into a right relationship with him, who covers the gap. And ultimately, he is the conquering king. He is the only one worthy to have complete authority in our lives. The book of Philippians tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But here and now, the invitation extended to us, the imperative given to us in this psalm is one of surrender. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for the opportunity <coughs> this, this January to look into these questions that the psalmists bring to you and they ask of you and they seek to unpack and wrestle with you. And, and God, that you love us and that you allow us to do that. You allow us to bring our honest questions to you. And yet, Jesus, none of them are as critical or as important as the one that we looked at today. That is seeking to know and understand who you are. That you are the one who is worthy of complete authority in our lives. That you invite us to open the gates and to lift up our heads and to welcome you in as the conquering king. So Jesus, lead us in the way of surrender, of submission that you would have complete rule and authority in us and in your church. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.